There's been a looming deadline hanging over financial markets that's coming to an end this summer. And the deadline has to do with shifting away from this notorious benchmark rate called LIBOR. It was used for decades to price different kinds of investments, like loans. When regulators announced a few years ago that the global financial system would be moving away from LIBOR, the task seemed kind of daunting. Here's the FT's U.S. capital markets correspondent, Harriet Klarfeldt. I spoke with a director at the investment firm KKR who has been involved in the LIBOR transition. And she said something which really stuck out to me about basically the deeply ingrained nature of LIBOR just because it's been used for such a long time. And she said, LIBOR is like salt. It's in everything. It's very hard to take out once it's in the cooking. In fact, in a 2018 article, the FT quoted one banker who said that the transition could be a task so large that it could be, quote, bigger than Brexit. However, as it's turned out, things have overall gone pretty well. Here's the FT's Philip Stafford, who reported on LIBOR for several years. Actually, it's been surprisingly smooth. Um, you know, they, if this this has because of an existential threat of, of, a, of, a, a, uh, of a potential uh, systemic risk to financial markets, and you know, if it had gone wrong uh, at any point, then then you would certainly know about it. And it kind of hasn't been that way. But there is one part of the financial system in the U.S. that's been taking its sweet time. Last week, Harriet came across a sternly worded statement from an industry group called the Alternative Reference Rates Committee, or ARC. With only 30 days remaining, the ARC urges market participants with LIBOR exposures to complete their transition efforts now. And the statement pointed to firms who still had exposure to the dying benchmark rate. They then later said, by now, firms should be fully aware of and prepared for this fast-approaching deadline. And those that are not prepared risk significant ramifications, including uncertain and potentially unfavorable outcomes. So part of what seems to be standing in the way are companies who are the borrowers in the loan market and investors, the people lending to them, have been scrapping over the fine print of documentation. That fine print could be the difference between where a lot of money ends up in the pockets of borrowers, or in the pockets of lenders, depending on how things shake out by the end of this month. I'm Michaela Tendera from the Financial Times. LIBOR. It's one of the longer-running stories in financial markets. But it's almost gone for good. So today on Behind the Money, we're looking back at what it was and how one part of the financial world is racing to the finish line to move away from it. Let's travel back about 40 years to the dawn of LIBOR, which, by the way, is an acronym that stands for the London Interbank Offered Rate, L-I-B-O-R. As the acronym kind of suggests, it started off in the UK. So it started in the 1980s with the British Bankers Association. Back then, LIBOR was established to be a benchmark that banks could use to figure out what interest rate they should charge when they were giving out loans. And the way that benchmark was created every day worked like this. Essentially, every morning, a group of about 15 to 20 major banks would come up with a number that would represent 
how much they would charge to lend money to another bank. So various banks would put forward their number every morning um, on sort of working days. And then an average would be taken of those, and that would be what was taken to be LIBOR. It started off as a way to have a standardized rate for corporate loans. But from there, it sort of spread like wildfire. It went on and started being used for all kinds of loans. We're talking about corporate loans, but also mortgages and credit cards. Okay, now, admittedly, this sounds a bit abstract. But the FT's Philip Stafford, who we heard from earlier, says to picture it like this. When you you take out a credit card or a mortgage or a loan of some kind, and if ever you're wondering where that interest rate comes from and why it's seemingly plucked out of thin air, well, it's usually because that interest rate is based on whatever LIBOR is. Then the bank will add in a little premium for itself, and then that effectively creates what what is the interest rate that you're paying. It it works exactly the same for every uh, kind of loan, effectively. And so LIBOR became a truly central part of international financial markets for decades to come. And every day, this group of banks would publish their LIBOR rates, and that's how the interest rate terms for new corporate loans, mortgages, and credit cards would get decided. One rate to rule them all. But then, in the aftermath of the financial crisis, a very big scandal broke. It turned out that some of these banks were manipulating numbers that they were submitting to be included in the average that formed the daily LIBOR rate. And what they found was that banks, and especially their traders, were submitting rates that were beneficial to them, uh, that maybe help their positions in, in their derivative markets uh, on desks, uh, trading positions, rather than what might be called the, the more honest, uh, I would say accurate number. This had a massive fallout. Bank CEOs had to resign. Banks in total paid more than $10 billion in fines. Now, while the bulk of these scandals came out in 2012, five years later in 2017, regulators had finally had enough. They said, okay, we're done with LIBOR here. We gotta do something else. Now, in order to leave LIBOR behind, a new system needed to take its place. And various ones have been created for different parts of the world and different currencies. For example, there's also a new rate called SONIA, S-O-N-I-A, which in the UK is being used. And there are other rates around the world. But the big deal is the one that's happening in the U.S. to replace a certain flavor of LIBOR, which is known as U.S. dollar LIBOR. That's because, as you've probably heard before, you know, U.S. markets are just so big and dominant compared to the rest of the world. And so this new one, the U.S. dollar LIBOR replacement, is called SOFR. And, yep, you heard right. That's another acronym, S-O-F-R. And what does that stand for? It stands for the Secured Overnight Financing Rate. More more acronyms for you. And it was designed by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and the U.S. Treasury Office of Financial Research. Now remember, LIBOR was created by a bunch of banks coming together and saying, hey, we think this should be the rate today. Here's the average of those figures. And then that was sent out into the world. So SOFR is quite different from this. 
SOFA is essentially a daily interest rate, which is calculated based on actual financial transactions instead of banks' estimates. And I think the idea is that that can help to make it less vulnerable to manipulation, um, the fact that it's not based on estimates. So it's, it's more standardized, and the idea is that it's more transparent as well. So while LIBOR was based on estimates, SOFA is based on cold, hard data. So to get people off this old U.S. dollar LIBOR, U.S. regulators said that starting last year, all new loans had to use SOFA instead. So our story's done here, right? Everyone's happy. There's no more LIBOR. Everybody's on to the SOFA team now. Uh, no, not quite. The story doesn't end just there. Uh, well, wh- why not? That's because any existing loans that were referencing LIBOR needed to switch over to the new benchmark SOFA. And that process isn't really like turning a light on. It's not necessarily what I'd call a a plug-and-play exercise. So there's paperwork and administrative processes that need to be done quickly now because the deadline is June 30th. But it's also about making the main parties involved, um, the companies who are the borrowers and the investors who are the lenders in the market, happy about the terms of switching over to the new benchmark. And is this a concrete deadline? Is there any pushing this deadline? <laughs> no, I'm going to say that over the, over time, various various bits of deadlines have been pushed around in, around the broader LIBOR transition. But no, hard and fast, June 30th. Harriet mentioned to me that there are some loopholes to this, but we won't get too into the weeds on what those are here. So that's where this one last hurdle in the switch away from LIBOR pops up. And the deadline to do it is getting closer and closer. So LIBOR will end for good on June 30th, 2023. But there has been sluggish progress in the lead up to this deadline um, within the so-called U.S. junk loan market. And when we reported on this, I think back in February, roughly three quarters of the junk loan market was still linked to LIBOR. And then we wrote another piece in late May when the latest tally showed that roughly half of the market still needed to transition. So the process has accelerated, um, particularly in recent weeks, but there's still stuff to be done. Now, you might be thinking, junk loans? Don't those inherently sound, well, junky? Who cares? So junk loans are also known as leveraged loans. Leveraged loans are loans issued by companies with weaker credit quality and usually large existing debt piles. And we use the word junk because their credit quality is below investment grade. So they are companies with weak credit ratings. Junk rated debt usually offers investors a higher yield or or a better return than they could get from better quality investment grade debt. But that's because of the greater risk associated with it. So despite the way the name sounds, the junk loan market in the U.S. is quite important. So I'd say looking at the market itself, it, it's huge. You know, it's in the U.S., the, the leveraged loan market or the junk loan market is more than a trillion dollars. And it's really grown significantly in recent years um, when companies engaged in this borrowing frenzy while money was much cheaper, when interest rates were much lower. So to clarify, when Harriet mentioned that based on the FT's latest tally that roughly half this market still needed to transition off of LIBOR, she meant that at least $700 billion worth of these loans still needed to transition. So what's the reason for the holdup in the junk loan market? Well, there are a few. And first, it comes down to that fine print that Harriet mentioned before. 
So investors in loans, who are also known as, as lenders in the market, um, often expect to receive SOFA plus a bit extra, and, and I mean by that a, a bit extra interest um, when companies switch over from LIBOR. But companies won't always want to go with those adjustments. Sometimes they'd like something a bit smaller or indeed nothing at all. To be clear, the difference between LIBOR and SOFR rates might sound small. A few months ago, when Harriet reported on this transition in the FT, she noted that SOFR's rate was 4.55%. And that's compared to the most widely used LIBOR rate, which was 4.95%. And, you know, those figures don't really sound that different. But when you're dealing with huge sums of money, that can really add up. This has led to some tension between the borrowers and the lenders in this market. That's because the companies issuing these loans don't want to have their costs lifted any higher than they have been already. Investors want to maximize the returns they can get from the loans that they're investing in. And companies who are who those loans are basically their borrowings want, if they can, to limit how much interest they're paying. So they've been, there's been a bit of back and forth um, in terms of trying to agree on terms that everyone's happy with. But there's been more to it than just haggling over the fine print. Bigger picture things like the rise in U.S. interest rates. When interest rates were very low in the lead up to the pandemic and then even lower during 2020, 2021, corporate borrowers went on a bit of a deal-making frenzy because it was really cheap to borrow. And so they took out lots of loans then and now here we are and they don't haven't had a real need to go back to the market last year or this year. And going back into the market would have provided a good opportunity to amend some older loans and also issue new ones linked to SOFA. So this deadline is less than a month away. And after decades of use, LIBOR will be pretty much gone for good. As I mentioned, Philip Stafford covered LIBOR for a long time at the FT. So I wanted to speak with him and ask him about what we can learn from this transition. So what do you think we can take away from this whole LIBOR transition? What we're, we're seeing effectively is this sort of the passing of an era in financial markets. And I would imagine that students at some point will go, how on earth do people work a system like that? And, and they did for many years. Mm, yeah, I wonder maybe you could compare it to when we went off the gold standard. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Markets aren't something that are easily created and planned and that something can just grow up organically into something very, very important but has very fundamental flaws in it. But everybody uses it because because it's useful. And before you know it, it, it can be absolutely central. Uh, I think it probably also says something about the fact that more and more of finance is now driven by whatever the actual market price is. Not what you think it might be, uh, that based on actual real transactions, which are much easier to follow and process because we're in a much more technologically advanced age than we were back then. Uh, you know, that this is, does represent a fundamental change in, in the way that the markets operate and operated. And uh, it, the fact that it will be gone without a big bang, which is a testament to the people who've worked behind it. Uh, and uh, let's face it, and to the regulators, because everyone likes to give them a good kick. And um, 
on this occasion, um, they seem to have managed something smoothly. Behind the Money is hosted by me, Michaela Tendera. Safia Ahmed is our producer. Tover Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 